0: Hey, being at work listeners, welcome back to another episode. Today's guest has a story that I want all emerging leaders to hear. It's such an important message. When the senior leaders in his organization asked him to do something that directly impacted his role and just so happened to not be the best thing for the organization, he said so and offered another direction. John Whitaker is the executive vice president and chief HR officer at National Partners in Healthcare. And he also leads his own podcast called HR Hardball. Listen in as John and I talk about the importance of stepping up to add value, speaking up when the direction isn't the right one, and how to help create an environment where it's safe to do so. Uh,
1: I'm an HR person by accident, and and I think uh, I could be an inspiration to a lot of knuckleheads getting out of college and don't know what the heck they want to do with their life. Uh, which was me, um, getting out of Texas A&M and I didn't know what I wanted to do as an outside sales. I did a number of different things, including pharma sales. I I finally got into a management role and I was managing others that were doing recruiting and I had never done any recruiting myself, but it was, uh, you know, it was management and sales. You're trying to get accounts, those types of things. Hated it really, so it wasn't like love at first sight.
0: <laughs> what did you hate about it?
1: Oh God, I mean, you know, if you talk to well, first of all, let me let me say this: the industry that I was in at that time, it was like admin and temp staffing and volume type stuff. Um, while there, I got an idea, or excuse me, an opportunity to join a company here that's pretty renowned locally called Alcon Labs. It's a big pharma company located in Fort Worth, Texas. And they were looking for additional like senior recruiters, and even though it wasn't a management role, that was a great opportunity because they're they're known as like one of those golden handcuff employers, and everybody's looking for a chance to get on. So I did uh, pursue that opportunity. Was lucky enough to get on, and slowly kind of advanced my way up into a management role, managing other recruiters there. So it was going to be that kind of that kind of career path where. I slowly uh, built a recruiting team, put some skins on the wall, and I guess became eventually some sort of uh, senior level talent acquisition person. But it sort of took a little bit of a, a nice detour for me. Uh, you know, we had talked about my pivotal moment. It was while I was out, and this is over 20 years ago. So this was early on in my career, but it definitely changed the vector considerably.
0: So, and, and how was this, so because you had said the other, the, the position you were in previously was more of a churn kind of staffing, this this probably was a very different recruiting approach. You started there as a senior talent attraction person, talent acquisition person, but ended up, like you said, managing a team of recruiters. What was that transition like?
1: Um, you know what, that was great because I think, you know, like I said, they, they weren't hurting for applicants. I think that they pretty much, you know, they took for granted that it would always be that way. And as the market did become more competitive and then more um, advances in technology and different ways to recruit became more prevalent, you had to up your game. So it, it gave me an opportunity to hire a few people and manage a few people that were pretty innovative and had ideas on how we could do things. And because it was a company that really had uh, had decent resources to contribute to that, it came up with good ideas, they were... They were good enough to say, okay, give it a shot. So in that respect, I enjoyed that. It also got me away from doing a lot of the daily grind of a recruiter, even though I was a working manager, but anybody who's been in talent acquisition for a long time can tell you there's there's times you want to pull your hair out because it's just, there's always another position, always. Um, and I knew that long-term that was not going to be, that wasn't for me. Managing others doing that, okay, because I can manage the process and do those types of things. But um, I was hoping there'd be something a little bit more, I don't know, interesting to do down the line.
0: Well, but it is a role, like you, because I I appreciate your perspective on the sales and the marketing aspect of the role. So it can be a great role to build those skills and to really get to understand the business. I've had um, in my experience. I've seen a lot of talent attraction folks move into marketing, for example, because of the the knowledge that they developed around the organization.
1: There's no doubt. I, I think it's you are marketing. Um, I, I'm really glad to hear you say that. I mean, it, it's less sales than it is marketing because you really do have to promote your product. What do the consumers want to see? Because everybody's a potential customer and you want to make sure that you're representing the company right. But yeah, it does. It teaches you promotion and influence and how to use different channels to attract different people. So I did, I, and I still enjoy that part of all of uh, marketing the company.
0: Yeah, and and managing multiple stakeholders because you've got all these candidates that you're managing and navigating. That reminds me of your pivotal moment because at Alcon Labs, you were going through this process where you were hiring a lot of people. So tell us about that.
1: I was managing a small team of recruiters and that included, and Alcon at the time was mainly a specialty pharmaceutical company. They're ophthalmic drugs. So they would deal with specialty physicians and also surgical uh, or surgeons, because they had a surgical division. Well, they decided uh, now we need to get in the primary care market, which is just wide open um, because primary care physicians were now going to be able to prescribe these drugs. And that's probably more information that you need, but they decide, okay, we need to have a kind of a skull session to figure out how we're going to do this. And I was invited along with uh, my boss at the time. And you had the senior leaders from sales in there describing what they needed. And their comment was, okay, so. Uh, We need 180 people, sales reps, primary care sales reps within about six months. And we need your help contracting with an external firm to make that happen. And I don't know if I was originally just maybe insulted that that was their default or if I was just shocked. I'm trying to figure out. All I know is I remember kind of looking up and the question I sincerely asked was, why in the world would we farm that out? Uh, I don't think that maybe they hadn't considered the fact that all right, remember where we're working. This is already an attractive employer. And, you know, I knew from experience that a pharmaceutical sales rep was one of those coveted jobs, especially for people just getting out of school, one or two years out of school. It's great living. It's a great it's a great job to get out and get started in your career. So um they listened to what I had to say, which was, Hey, maybe we ought to do that internally, because the cost that you're gonna pay to contract a firm externally is gonna be exorbitant. And the other side of it is who sells your company better than you. I wanted to sell the company. I didn't want to have to teach another external firm how to sell my company when they might be trying to sell eight companies.
0: Yeah. And who was it that was asking you of this? It was your boss and and another leader, correct?
1: Yeah. There was uh, the two SVPs of of sales at the time and my boss was in the room. There was also another HR uh, who was more of the business partner, senior business partner for that business group in the room.
0: Well, and that's why there's so many things about this story that I love. So I wanted to get a sense of the players in the room, because clearly you didn't hesitate. You said pretty quickly "said oh, wait a second. Like, why would we do that? Uh, Here's what we should do instead. So clearly it was safe for you to do that. Was it because of the relationships?
1: You know, with my boss, I knew I had a real, I had a safe spot always that he was, uh, you know, he we had a real good relationship. In that room, I did not really have, other than him, the other three, I really didn't have an established relationship with these people, I didn't work with them that much.
0: So it was the relationship with your boss that largely gave you the confidence to say that?
1: I will say that and I'll say it might be just a, a personality trait that I will sometimes say stuff that maybe... It comes out of my mouth before I thought about it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So so in this situation, it served you well. Yes.
1: Yes. (laughs) My personality disorder actually came in handy (laughs) here.
0: Well, and so you, you talked it through and you did end up taking on what, so how did it go?
1: It went great. Uh, I mean, it wasn't easy and we knew it wouldn't be easy, but instead of, you know, contracting with a firm that was going to charge us 20% on the head for 180 people, I hired a couple uh recruiters that were gonna be contract recruiters. So I they would be working for me internally in in the office. They could become sort of ensconced in the whole culture of the company. And they ended up actually it's funny, uh the people that I brought on then, and again, this is over twenty years ago. I know one of them is running global talent acquisition now for Neiman Marcus and another is far up the chain in another company. So this was one of those moments that it was a rising tide that lifted a few of us. But we had a lot of fun because we were, you know, It was, we knew we had a timeline. We knew we had a number that other people really were looking at is this is not going to happen. We're going to end up having to supplement this with external recruiters. So we, we had a mission and we had a lot of fun doing it. I mean, the, the risk was, okay, we, we fail. And at the time, it didn't really bother me.
0: Why is that?
1: That's a really good question. I thought about this last night and I think everybody's got fear of something and I think at the end of the day, what is the worst that's going to happen? Are they going to kick me out on the street and I'm going to be destitute and forever without a job? No. I mean, is there a chance that maybe it goes disastrous and I I lose my job? Yes, but okay, whatever. (laughs) I've been through this enough maybe it's because I was in recruiting. I mean, I had changed jobs three or four times before I was 27 years old. So I knew for me, there was going to be something else. There was a plan. I don't know exactly what it was, but I just needed to kind of follow what I thought I was right and see how it, how it shook out. I, I think when you operate from fear of the, of the negative outcome, that's generally when you pull back and you don't do the things that can make you thrust ahead in your career.
0: Yeah, I really, I really love that question. What's the worst that could happen? And it's interesting, John, that's a theme that I hear over and over from leaders on this show talking about pivotal moments. You know, there's always some risk involved, but so much of the time when we step back and ask ourselves that question, we realize that we're going to be okay. (laughs) Like, even if the worst happens, we're going to be okay.
1: I think that, you know, I've been blogging a long time, Andrea, and one of my my more um, popular blogs was this thing but it was about the chicken shit switch. And, and unfortunately in HR, especially the higher people get in the chain, the more that they get comfortable and the less likely they are to step out and do something that is risky. And I think that's, that's a bad thing. Then you have leaders, you have senior leaders that aren't encouraging that the atmosphere of risk because risk is where we get these great moments.
0: Yes. And you called that the chicken shit switch.
1: Yeah. You can flip the chicken shit switch.
0: No way I'm bleeping <laughs> that out. That's fun. <laughs> <laughs> no one has ever said chicken shit switch on this show. So thanks for being the first. Well,
1: I'm glad we can have a similar moment together. Then That's great. <laughs>
0: But this, but it's so good. Yeah. I mean, I working a lot with emerging HR leaders. I I talk so much about having the courage to step up, share your perspective, like why not? Because you have such a valuable perspective. So this, this situation, which is why I love the story so much, because this situation like really exemplifies that. I mean, here you are in leading the talent acquisition function, and they're asking you to do something that directly impacts the work that you do. And it didn't make sense to do that.
1: Right, it didn't, and I think it was one of those things too. Where if you're in HR, you you might be used to this too. They were pretty much we're the admin function. Here's what I need you to do for us. Um, just go take care of that and get somebody external consultant to do it. And you know, HR people sometimes will take umbrage to that and decide, no, we can do this.
0: Well, or yeah, or just doing doing what they're told because that's easier, and not not having the confidence to propose another idea, even if you feel like it could be the right one.
1: Yeah. And it, you know what? It's not easy. I mean, I, I don't want to kind of diminish it because I, even now I'll be in, I mean, I'm in board meetings now instead of these types of meetings and you can feel yourself clenching up sometimes if you think there's something that needs to be said and, oh man, what, what if I say this is what, what's going to happen? But you have to, there's a right way to say these things and there's a right time to do it.
0: Yeah. Well, and And the context is really important. I mean, which is why I was, I was breaking down like who were the players and what were your relationships? And yeah, I mean, the scenario might've looked a bit different if your boss hadn't have been in the room. I mean, I suspect you still would have voiced because of who you are, you would have voiced a different perspective or an idea, but because you had the relationship with your boss, he was a quick advocate for you. It sounds like.
1: He was, you know, and that's a good point really, because I hadn't thought of that. I might. Maybe I don't bring it up if I didn't have some sort of because I was you know three four pegs down the chain from these guys and maybe I don't bring it up.
0: And how long? And how long had you been there at that point?
1: I mean, maybe a couple of years. I, I was I was a known quantity, but you know I ended up staying there eleven years. So this was the the one job that sort of where I made my
0: bones. Oh, I bet. Well, and didn't you tell me that your boss at the time, like he still tells this story?
1: <laughs> he does. He does. We had a lot of fun. I mean, really when you go through that type of thing and it's a something you can hang on your wall as a skin you put on the wall, he loved that because he could talk about it in at the board meeting of things. Those are the type of metrics that HR leaders love to show. Here's the cost avoidance and here's what we did metrics. So we gave him some fodder.
0: Yeah. And that's when HR really serves the business, isn't it? So it's, it's not just saying, yeah, we'll farm it out. We'll find a firm because you could have totally done that. But instead it's, we're going to save the company money. We're in a better position to find this talent. Let me lead it. I mean, that's, that's a business partner.
1: It was, you know what? It's still a proud moment. And I know that uh, the other people that were involved in it, and I'll make sure they're going to be uh, copied on this story too when you publish it, because they're, they're going to have the same fond memories. There were some really, really good people that helped me. This was not a, a single effort at all. This was a great team.
0: Yeah. Well, that's, and that's another important part of the story, isn't it? Leaders don't go it alone. Yeah. And, and, and listening to you, it was interesting. I mean, the, it, because the ingredients for success were there, you, you talked about having a clear goal and a mission, you had a focused timeline, so you knew what success looked like and you had a lot of fun doing it. I loved earlier, you talked about, you know, it was a rising tide that lifted a few of us. That's, that's why it's so powerful to step into the challenge because you don't know you don't know where that's going to take you or the relationships you'll build as a result or what you'll be leading next as a result because of those experiences. I mean, cause what a great story that is for all of you to tell going forward to prove that, Hey, I'm up for it. Give me a challenge to lead. Well,
1: you know, this was 20 something years ago. I still know several of those people. I still see some of them that we hired during that, that hiring uh, frenzy that are senior execs in the company now that have gone and done great things. So it's, uh, it definitely is one of those things that if I ever revisit it and we can think of something that we can feel good about glory days, that's it.
0: That's so good. So now, I mean, as executive vice president and chief HR officer, your role is much broader. And no doubt you have encouraged leaders through this story and others, encouraged other leaders to step up. So I'd love to spend a few minutes talking more about that. You know, we, we you and I dabbled in that a few minutes ago when we were talking about this story and why it was that you felt safe to share. What, what advice do you give to leaders to encourage them to step up and be bold and share their perspective? And how do you do that in an environment where it's not safe?
1: That's a great question. Um, you know, it's funny. I have two sons and when talking to them about, you know, things to do, no matter what they decide to do for a living or whatever, that if you can figure out how to say the thing that people want to say, but they're not, if you can do that, no matter what your career is, it's going to help you it's going to benefit you, other people are thinking it. you just need to be the conduit where it's coming out so if if I'm talking like people on my team or or other leaders and they have a challenge and like i you know this is bugging me or I, I wish they would do this, and one of the first things I'll ask is, okay, so you've talked to them about this then right like well, no, because if I do, then they're gonna we we play through these scenarios in our head before we go through them and i and I think we inhibit ourselves. Now you mentioned if you're in an unsafe environment and that, that adds a wrinkle to this that is different because if you feel like you're in an environment where your ideas aren't appreciated, you're probably in the wrong environment, right? If you're in an environment where you have a, a leader that's mature, and I don't mean age, I just mean confidence level that they know, hey, I get the best I get the best work out of my people when I let them be smarter than me in a lot of ways. If you have one of those environments, then there's no way you should ever question going with ideas and, and saying, Hey, have we thought about this? You know, it it might be, well, no, but I appreciate the energy. And here's why I didn't think that, but please don't stop doing that. You know, I love that. You have to be able to encourage that.
0: Yeah. Okay. That's really good. And I get that. So, and I really appreciated your point about, Hey, if you're in an environment where your, your ideas aren't appreciated, you're probably in the wrong environment how much, so this is, this is an important question. How much of your environment can you influence? How much can you drive change in an environment like that? And I think there's a lot of variables, but I'd love to hear your perspective on that. Cause you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want someone to, to default to, well, they don't, they just, they, they don't recognize me. They don't without doing something to try to influence that or build relationships. So what are your thoughts on that?
1: Wow. Well, for our millennials out there, let's say that just don't try to, to do everything different in the first two weeks after that, you know, it's, it's fair game, but don't, don't come into the company first, first couple of weeks and tell everybody what they're doing wrong. And that's, a, that's kind of yes. a jab my that's period. the
0: time to learn, right? <laughs> it's the <laughs> yes. time to learn.
1: That's the time to learn. I know there's, There's a lot of advocates within the building that you may not, they're, they're not identified by title. One of the, you know, you need to find out who those people are. And, you know, is it the receptionist? Is it the executive admin? Is it the IT guy that knows where everything is? Who's been there 20 years? I mean, you find your internal advocates too. You you want to know the environment. You want to know there's how things are supposed to work and then there's how things really work here. And when you, you know, that's the culture of a company, how things really work. And you have to determine that to find out if you're in an environment that is going to be conducive to that. And now I'm in an environment where it's real fast paced. We're private equity backed. We run lean, which means everybody has uh, jobs way outside the job description. And you have to be comfortable doing that. And people run around with their hair on fire and decisions are quick. And I love it. I mean, that, that's kind of environment I thrive in. And if, when we're talking to people who want to join our company, you know, I'll really kind of push them on that factor, because if you're not ready for that, that kind of environment, you're going to feel, you're not going to feel safe. I, I want people to come in.
0: Well, that's, that's a really good point. So it's not a one size fits all, right? It's, it's figuring out you like, so you got to know yourself and the environments in which you flourish and then cert, seek out that kind of an environment. Cause that's when, that's when you're going to, that's where you're going to be your best.
1: Yes. And boy, there's never been a better opportunity than now, probably to find the place that suits you best. Right. I mean, companies are dying for talent and you be, you know, be thoughtful about where you're going to work and make sure it matches with what you, what you're all about.
0: Yeah. I was with a group of emerging HR leaders last night and we were talking about, there's a couple of them that have, uh, have changed jobs over the last few months and for both of them, a big driver was just looking for something that was, that was com- a completely remote role. So one of them is working for a company that's headquartered in Denver, and she's here in Indianapolis. She's the only person on the team from Indianapolis, and she loves being able to work from home. She's an introvert. She's focused on data analytics. It suits her well. Like that's, that's the kind of environment where she thrives. Yeah. Well, John, this is so much fun. I'm so grateful to have connected with you. I appreciate your uh, I appreciate your style, you know when we started today before we hit record, John said, uh let's have fun first and foremost, and so I really appreciate that you bring that to all of our interactions.
1: well, this has been great for me and for your listeners, they should know that i I tried to connect with you first because I was just so impressed with what you've been doing, and I can't wait to have you as a guest on my own show so I can throw some curveballs at you.
0: Oh my gosh! Yeah, H. Well, it is called HR Hardball, so I should I should be ready for that. And so, to all our listeners, check out that great podcast. Yeah, John definitely throws some curveballs at his guests, so you'll appreciate that. John, if our listeners want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that?
1: You know, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm one of those people that is pretty prevalent on there, so I would just do that. Go to the podcast or go to hrhardball.com, where my blog is, and you can send me a note. I reply to just about everybody. So hope to uh, get some new connections out of this and hopefully, um, you know, gain a little bit of that Andrea butcher um, mojo that you've got.
0: Oh, I love it. Hey, I well, John Whitaker mojo.
1: Okay. I'll take that.
0: It's good. It's good. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate you. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to never miss a being at work story.